Hi everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of Tea with Janae. I'm your host, Janae Kirshner of Janae Kirshner Photography, and I'm so excited to have you guys here. Tea with Janae is where we give real advice, tangible tips, and thoughtful insight about what it's really like to be a wedding photographer. I'm really excited for this week's episode because I'm chatting with Alan Berg. And if you listened to this podcast before, you know that I absolutely love his book, Why Don't They Call Me? So when I actually ran into Alan in person this past November at the Knock Gala in New York City, I, one, had to say hello to him, and two, I had to ask him to be a guest on the show. And he graciously said yes. So here we are. So today, Alan and I are chatting about some of the most common mistakes wedding photographers make when they receive a new inquiry and how to fix them right now. It's awesome. You guys are going to love today's show. So a little bit about Alan is that he is one of the leading international speakers and experts on the business of weddings. With over 25 years of industry experience, working at The Knot, he's an educational guru for Wedding Wire, and he's also written five books all about the wedding industry. You guys, he totally knows his stuff, and it's such a great show. So a few things to announce before we begin. Uh, I was hoping you guys could kind of help me out. I have a really big goal for 2020, and that is to receive 20 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts for this podcast, Tea with Janae. So I really need you guys to help me out. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a review once you're done listening to this episode, um, that would be awesome. What you guys could do is just leave a review. And what I would love, if you could take a picture of your review, you know, to take a screenshot on your phone, post it on Instagram, tag at Janae Kirshner, and I'll share it in my stories. It'll be so fun to see all the reviews coming in, and I can't wait to share it on my feed. You guys are amazing, so thank you so much. Also, be sure to visit us at twithjanae.com to read our latest blog post, join our newsletter, and our super fun Facebook group. All right, you guys, get ready. Grab a cup of tea and enjoy the show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so excited you guys are here. We have a wonderful guest today. Alan, can you say hi? Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I know. I'm so excited. I People who listen to the podcast, I've mentioned you a bunch. And when we met at The Knot, I couldn't help myself, but I had to ask you to be a guest. So thank you so much for saying yes. Uh, thank you for asking. You know, a lot of people say, how come, you know, you've never been to this city or you've never spoken here or whatever? I said, well, I have to be asked. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for doing that. That's uh, that, that is the, the best first step. Yes, yes. So let's tell everybody a little bit about you, your company, and how you got started. Sure. Well, I've been in the wedding and event industry for over 25 years, and I got started in a kind of a um, probably not that much different than a lot of people that I wasn't looking to be in the industry. But in my case, uh, my best friend at the time bought a franchise of a wedding magazine. 
And we had nothing to do with the wedding industry other than the fact that we had been married. Although in my case, I like to say that I was kind of the guy on top of the cake. You know, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just show up at the wedding that, you know, that was your, your thing there because right? we, we were young and, you know, that was that was it. So uh, he called me up one day, said, I bought this wedding magazine franchise and I want you to sell for me. And it was a new industry. It was straight commission. He said, I don't want a partner. I want you to sell. It was an, I was an independent contractor. So no salary, no draw, no minimum, no guarantee. I was in a job that I had a company car, fully paid benefits, making really good money and hating every day of it. And I took this job as this you know, salesperson, commission only. Oh, um, my wife was pregnant. My older son was turning three. So of course it made perfect sense to leave the security of the job that you had. <laughs> Uh, but I knew that I could sell. I mean, I, I was confident in the fact that I could sell. That was my skill. So I, you know, learning the product would be secondary, although my degree is in marketing and accounting. So I, I had a background in that. I had worked for the largest ad agency in the country, although I didn't do anything related to advertising because when you're new, <laughs> you, you do all the, you know, the, the, the small stuff. And so I did that. I was sold for five years. And then after five years, he sold us the magazines and my wife and I published two wedding magazines and uh, the Hudson Valley in New York and in New Jersey. We did that for another five years. And then the franchisor wanted me to come and work for them and run their sales team in the Northeast, everything from Boston down to DC to run their team. So we sold them back the magazines, went to work for them. And four months later, the knot bought the company. Wow. And I was with the knot for 11 years, actually exactly 11 years, April 1st of 2000, April 1st of 2011. Um, I used to make a joke and say, that's when I untied the knot. <laughs> um, and it's funny cause now I'm consulting with them again because I started consulting with wedding wire a year later and then wedding wire and the knot combined. So now I'm consulting for both of them and speaking and training and writing for them. So that's, you know, my 25 plus years uh, in the industry. And then when I left the knot, I started my own business as a speaker, sales trainer, business consultant, um, author. I've just published my fifth book. And I've been traveling um, 14 countries now speaking about the business of weddings and events and doing sales training. That's incredible. So yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I'm excited to chat, chat about your role in the wedding industry. You know, what exactly do you teach and talk about? I teach the part that most people don't have when they get into the industry. Most people, when they get into the industry, they follow a passion that's involved with a craft or a skill or some sort of a talent that they have. You're a photographer, you're a planner, you're a florist, you're a caterer, you're a whatever. And you get into the industry, a lot of people fall into the industry like I did, you know, the photographer who was taking pictures in college and then a friend said, hey, could you shoot my wedding? I'll feed you, you know, and then they, <laughs> and then somebody sees the picture says, how much would you charge us? You're like, oh, wait a minute, I can make money from this. Boom, you're a wedding photographer, right? Or the DJ or the, the, those stories are so common. I planned my own wedding. Now I'm a wedding planner, right? Mm -hmm. But none of that qualifies you to have a business. And for a lot of people who do the weekend warrior thing, which a lot of people do that in the beginning, that's okay. That's okay because you can fumble your way through that. But if you want to make a real business out of it, you want to make a full-time business out of it, even if it is still a weekend thing, but you want to make it into a serious business, you need business skills. And business skills don't come with the craft skills. Um, I, I've asked people in so many industries. So, you know, you went to college and you were taking photography was your major. What business classes did you take? None, right? 
you were you were in college for something and you were the DJ at the radio station and or at the clubs or whatever. What business classes did you have? None. Okay, so what I teach you is how to have the business skills because there's basically four steps to getting more sales in almost any business. You one, get their attention. They have to know you exist, they have to know you offer that service. Two, you need them to make an inquiry and say, "Hey, I need what you do. I'd like to find out more." Three, have that conversation, which in the old days was meeting them in person, uh, talking on the phone, and now it's more likely to be digital. And then you get the chance to make that sale. Now, there could be other steps in there if you're a venue and they want to come out and tour it or something like that, or a dress shop and they're going to come out and try dresses on. But essentially, those are the four steps. So that's what I teach. And it's been it's funny. I was on a podcast yesterday with a guy in the U.K., and he asked me, he said, so you've been to 14 countries doing this. What do you change? And the interesting thing is I don't change much because the steps are the same. Where you get their attention is different, right? Mm -hmm. How you get it might be different. So in the States, it's wedding wire and the knot. Uh, but in the UK, it's going to be different sites like that. Social media, certainly networking, uh, reviews and, and uh, referrals and all those things. It's the same. You know, I, I've, I've been to India three times speaking. I've been to Dubai four times, you know, to South America, to Colombia, and to Uruguay, and Mexico, and Guatemala, and, you know, Australia twice last year. And I was just talking to someone about going back this year. It's the same thing, and it translates very, very well. Now, the wedding's going to be different, right? Like that Indian wedding is going to be different. Uh, but how you get to make that sale, how you get to that point, is those same steps. Yeah, I love that. And what you're saying rings 100% true to me because I started out like exactly like in college and my dad gave me my camera and I started and then it was like, oh, I have a business, but I don't know how to sell. I don't know how to market. I don't know how to do this stuff. So I had to learn all of that stuff through, all, through the course of 10 years mm -hmm. to now where I'm like, okay, well, that's you know, where I, the last few years I've been really focusing on marketing and selling and learning that. And I learned a lot from you. And it's just, it's just crazy that you can have a business, but you don't know how to sell. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, you know, I like to say that despite themselves, a lot of people have businesses. You know? <laughs> uh, an interesting thing, when I was vice president of sales at The Knot, because in the 11 years I was there, I started as regional sales director, then I was vice president of sales I was vice president of sales operations. I was, uh, I created the not market intelligence, which was the training speaking research kind of division we had there. And uh, for the 11 years I was doing sales training, you know, internally and externally. I got a call one day from a guy at Yale university and he had been an event designer and now he was at Yale studying and his, I don't know if it, I don't think it was his PhD, but his fellowship or whatever he was doing, he chose this, which was, why do so many people start wedding-related businesses when the economics don't seem to make any sense? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, and it, it, the answer is because they don't look at the economics. Right? The economics are like my, my son's girlfriend, photographer, right? Went to school, be a photographer, talented photographer. She's got 22 first cousins, so she's been dragged into a few weddings, right? <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't have any business skills because she wasn't taught those and her brain doesn't work that way. But when somebody pays her X to come out and do a wedding and she's like, Oh wow, that was pretty good. And then another person, right. But is she paying the rent with that? No. Does she have to pay the car payment with that? No. Does she have to cut? Right. So that, 
the economics aren't, she's not thinking about the economics because it's like, whoa, I just made a thousand bucks or I just made $2,000 or whatever it is. It's like, wow, this is great. Um, and then I remember the first time that they were doing their taxes and she had gotten, I said, did you get me 1099s? She goes, yeah, somebody sent me something like that. I said, well, you need to report that income. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're in business. Or yeah. the first, remember the first time a, a venue asks you for your insurance certificate. Exactly. And, and you're like, like, do I have what? insurance? What? 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 <laughs> I, I, when I, years ago when I was doing Taekwondo, there was a guy in my school and he started DJing. And my son was in college and he was having his college formal and they needed a DJ. So I said, hey, why don't you use Steve? So they contact Steve. And of course, Steve's price was cheap because Steve was doing this on the side and he thought this was cool. And the hotel asked for his insurance and he didn't have it. Mm -hmm. I said, well, Steve, why don't you join the American Disc Jockey Association? You can get the insurance. It's about what they're paying you for that gig. And now you'll have insurance for the year for any gig you do. And he said, no, nah, he didn't want to spend the money. I said, oh. well, you're not, you're not going to make the money either. Right. So, so if you do this gig, yeah, it's a wash. But now you could do all these other gigs and you could charge more because you have the insurance. And no, he didn't want to do it. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. well, I loved your book, Why Don't They Call Me? I Thank recommend you. it all the time. Uh, people download it and they love it. And I'd like to know, you know, what inspired you to write that book? The, the interesting thing with that is the change that happened in the wedding industry, not really wedding industry, in the world, from the analog world to the digital world, which is this, the, the title, Why Don't They Call Me, is really the conversations that I've had with wedding pros over the years. So when I started in the industry, and you know it's more than 25 years ago, so yes, you know we had computers, and yes, there was an I don't know if there was an internet the way we have it now, but there, you know, we were getting online and doing stuff like that. But people were still picking up the phone and calling you. They were still walking into people's offices. They were still opening the yellow pages and looking you up, they, right? Newspapers yeah. and stuff like that. And at some point, email showed up, you know, years ago with no instructions, right? When e now you're a lot younger than I am, but when email showed up, it was, here's email. Yeah. So, <laughs> Use okay. it. Go ahead. Use it. Like texting, right? When before we had full keyboards on our phones, you were texting with the, you know, press the two key three times to get a C and press the right. And yeah. that was that was the way it was because we weren't doing texting. And then all of a sudden it's like you needed a full keyboard. And it's funny, I have a graveyard behind me here of of phones I'm saving for. Uh, Sonny, one of the founders of Wedding Wire, has this tech history thing that he he has his own thing of you know, all these old phones and things. And my wife was going through some stuff and found in a drawer these phones with the full keyboard on it. That was such a big deal at the time. It was like, whoa, you have a whole QWERTY keyboard here. Wow. Well, then all of a sudden what happened is people started inquiring and they don't want to talk to you on the phone. And all of my books, all of my speeches, all of my articles come from conversations I've had with wedding and event pros because being out at conferences and consulting with people one-on-one -on -one and and chatting online and that thing of like why won't they call me you know it would be so much easier if they would just call me so there's the title you know why don't they call me right and i really wanted to make it the shortest book ever i wanted it to say why don't they call me you'd open it up and it would say get over it <laughs> <laughs> and that would be the end of it right that, that was the end of the book but i'd figure nobody would buy that book so i would i write the whole book so what i started doing is thinking about there's two phrases i like to use which is reduce the friction and no dead ends, 
right? Reducing the friction is just make it easy to do business with you. Companies like to make it so hard to do business with them sometimes. We do business with the companies that make it easy. Amazon is, is king of that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, buy now, the buy now button, which by the way, eBay had how long ago, right? Right. <laughs> but but the, the buy now button, so you go into your app, you find the thing, you click buy now and it's done. There you go and it shows up at your house. So that's reducing the friction. And then no dead ends. There should always be a next step. There should always be a what, what happens now? What is the next thing that's going to happen in the sales process? Because sales is kind of like a, a relay race marketing, you know, where they pass the baton from one runner to the next. So it gets passed at each stage and, you know, we want to drop it less is the whole key. We want to drop it less. So I started thinking, what are the things that are creating friction? What are the things that are creating dead ends? For instance, if you end your email with, let me know if you have any questions, period, you've created a dead end, right? It would be very much like you think about a, a regular conversation, which is what an email should be. And if I you know, met you on the street and I said, hi, Janae, how you doing? You go, I'm doing fine. Right? That's the end of the conversation, right? <laughs> and if you said, Alan, I'm doing fine. How are you? I said, I'm doing fine too. Thanks. It's the end of the conversation again. So what keeps the conversation going is the question. And I was in uh, the uh, Southern California area with a friend of mine, Alan Katz, who's an officiant out there. And uh, he's got a great company. They do, his company does over a thousand ceremonies a year. And, and it, like, if you want a Jedi Knight to do your ceremony, you can have that. And if you want a, a priest or a rabbi, you can have that as well. So, and we're driving along and we're talking about this kind of stuff. And he just casually mentions that he always has his people end every email with a question because that gets them a better response because you ask a question, you get an answer. And it's like, duh. <laughs> Light bulb moment. Yeah, just like one of those things. It's a, funny. It's a thing people say about my speaking and training. Is like, oh, it just makes so much sense. I said, yeah, but it didn't make sense till you heard me say it. Right. And I'm like, right. So he said that, and actually there's a dedication in the book, and it's partly dedicated to him because of that conversation. Because that tip is the absolute best tip. End with a question, you're more likely to get an answer than if you end with a period or an exclamation point. Uh, so uh, the subtitle of Why Don't They Call Me is Eight Tips for Converting Wedding and Event Inquiries into Sales. Now, truth is it's converting almost any conversation to the next step. But I say wedding and event inquiries because just like SEO for a website, search engine optimization, if you're on Amazon searching for a wedding business book, if it says wedding in the title, it's going to help. Right. Um, which I have another great story about that with a guy in Romania who found one of my books because of that. So why don't they call me? was from the frustration of wedding and event pros getting ghosted because they get an inquiry through their website or through wedding wire or through Bernard or through social media or whatever. And they respond and then they don't hear back. And so we started doing some secret shopping. And when I say we, it's me and my virtual assistant, uh, which means she was doing it. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and what we do is, uh, A, I wanted her to do it because more likely to be a bride than a groom reaching out to a lot of businesses, not exclusively, a lot of businesses are getting inquiries from brides. We pick a, a, a Gmail address that sounds like somebody made it up for their wedding, like uh, one we had last year was I said yes 2019 at <laughs> gmail.com. And we inquire and we say, hi, we'd like to get information and pricing. Right. Just like how many of those do you get? Right. A ton. Right. Now, that doesn't make it a bad inquiry. 
They just don't know what else to ask because they've never done this before. And then we track. And here's the interesting thing. We had to add a column to the spreadsheet that we made for our tracking. And the first column now is, did they reply at all? Wow, really? Yes, yes. It is amazing how many businesses we do not get a reply from at all. Now, according to the knot, about 50% of the inquiries that come through the knot platform, in other words, through the messaging on the knot from bride or groom to a a, a wedding professional, 50% never get replied to through their platform. Now, some are getting replied to outside the platform, but many of them are not getting replied to at all. And when they survey couples, one of the frustrations is vendors who don't reply. (laughs) So I know it's unfathomable to you and I that anybody would not reply, right? I feel bad if I don't get back to somebody the same day. And I was away 178 nights last year and oh flew goodness. 135,000 miles. And I feel bad if I don't get back to you by the next day, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so crazy that you even say this because so when I li- I bought your audiobook, so when I listened to it within like two or three hours, I had completely revamped my entire experience because I was sounding like a robot. And I wasn't being myself and I wasn't mimicking how their styles were. And I wasn't ending with a question. So literally I took (laughs) the next two hours to redo sort of my beginning templates that I totally and completely customized. And within the next day, it was like a different tone, a different client. They were like super excited. You know, I was being Mm -hmm. myself and I a hundred percent got that from you. And I reply to people it sounds so silly, right? Like I was a robot before and then all of a sudden I was being myself and I was like, oh yeah, this is the girl I want to work with. Right. And I, I tell them in there when they email me and they do an inquiry, I get back to them within 24 hours or less. And it's, mm-hmm. it's honestly, it's within an hour or two because I want to be the first one. Right. And, that, and that's a, a brilliant thing because according to a wedding wire survey, um, couples, 50% of couples chose the first one who replied. Right. Now, you have to reply well. It's not just replying that's enough because I've had people, it's funny, it happens all the time. I'll get an email from someone or I'll get a message on social media. Alan, I read your books. I love it. I love hearing you speak. I love all this stuff. I'm doing exactly what you say and it's not working for me. And I'll say, oh, well, send me your reply. It just happened to me last week. Send me what you're sending. And I look at this reply. I'm like, that's not what I said. But there are pieces of it, right? It's like they took pieces of it, but they couldn't give up on these other pieces. So in this particular case, it was very long, had too much, way too much information in it, much of which was probably on their website. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I looked at it, not just on my desktop, I looked at it on my phone and, and it was at least two full screens on my phone of this email. And nobody wants to read that. So that was, the, that was the first problem. There was definitely too much information. There were some links in there. And he was asking for a phone call at the end, which is, again, a high commitment to action. And I say, don't go right for that. You, know, you wouldn't go to a bar and you see someone say, oh, he's, you know, he's cute, right? or she's cute. And you walk up and go, hi, would you like to get married? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a little, little too much there. You're jumping too many steps, right? The first is, is, this, is this seat taken, right? Can I come and sit here? Right, yeah. Right? And so what I outline in the book, what I outline in my speaking, is that you have to think about the process that you couldn't see that got them to even to the point where you can have this conversation. So 
if you think about it, and I, I, my best friend's son is engaged right now. So going through the process and, you know, he'll reach out to me and say, hey, do you know this person or this person or whatever? And so what's the process? And then also, how does this person buy? Everybody buys differently. And uh, one of my favorite books is called The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. And it just getting into the mindset, understanding that not everybody buys the way that you do. And it's hard for you to think like them because you buy one way, they buy the other. So think about the process. This couple gets engaged and then all of a sudden the clock starts ticking, right? Family, friends, everybody wants to know when's the wedding, when's the wedding, when's the wedding. And that wedding could be, let's go elope. That wedding could be weeks away, months away, years away, right? And we just don't know at that point, you know, what particular rush are they? Um, when this, this gentleman's brother was engaged three years before when he got married, he and his girlfriend had dated for a few years and then got engaged, and then about a year later got married. This couple has been together about eight months, got engaged, getting married in October, okay? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> just, it's just different, right? right? It's not wrong, it's different. When the older brother was engaged and they're sending me, hey, you know, here's five venues and here's five DJs and here's four photographers, right? And this one's like, here's the venue we're considering. <laughs> <laughs> and they hadn't been out to any yet. And they went out, they only went to two because there was another one down the road from this one. But the one that they went to look at is the one that they booked that day. And then they're in uh, going out to dinner one night, park the car, walking down the street, there's a bridal shop. Now she never noticed the bridal shop because she wasn't engaged before. Right. right. Now she sees the bridal shop and there's a dress in the window. She goes, Oh, that's a pretty dress. So she makes an appointment. She's going to go by herself and her friends and family said, you can't go by yourself. So, all right. So she brings the posse with her, you know, her mother, her future mother-in-law, maid of honor, whatever. Uh, she tries that dress on. They told her she had to try other dresses on, not the store, the friends and family. She's like, <laughs> all right. So she tries on like five dresses total, but bought the dress in the window. Right. Okay. That day. Now that's very different than the way her, his brother did the process, right? They went to many, many different venues, talked to many, many different vendors. Um, I referred them to a, a few DJs uh, here in New Jersey because that's where they're getting married. And, you know, people that I know, people that I trust, people I would put my name on, you know, knowing it's going to go right. And I, I, but I only gave them two. I didn't give them five because I didn't want to create decision paralysis. I reached out to them ahead of time. Are you available on this date? Yes. I'm going to refer you to this. They're going to book probably the first one they meet with. Right. Because <laughs> that's the way they're doing it. And then other people will just drag it out. My older son's a financial analyst. My younger son is a graphic designer. Big, big difference in Say brands. no more. Say no more. <laughs> okay. So here's the stories. My older son wants to get a car. And he's thinking, okay, I want a standard shift, sporty, you know, and I know about his price point and all. And I said, well, you know, a couple of cars ago, you had a Volkswagen GTI. You really liked it. Why don't you just get another one of those? He's like, well, I need to look around. Well, I already done in my head. I'm like, da, 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 da. that's the car for you, okay? So he said, no, no I got to look around. This is his world. He's an analyst. This is what he does, okay? So he analyzed, and he ended up with a Volkswagen GTI. <laughs> wait, wait. Four months later. Oh, my goodness. Now, my younger son decides he wants a, um, a Subaru Outback wagon, used car, looking for one with low mileage, finds one out on Long Island. He lives in Lancaster, PA. So that's 100 miles west of me in New Jersey. We're going to go 70 miles east out to Long Island to this dealership. Call him up. Do you have the car? Yes. 
do you definitely have it? We are coming along late. Yes, we do. Okay. We drive out there, see the car, test drive the car, make a deal, drive home with the car. <laughs> okay. It's incredible. So, right. So you just think you, you can't assume everybody's going to buy the same way. And you can't assume because they said how much that they can't afford it or that they, that they, you know, they want the cheapest package or anything. We make those bad assumptions. So yeah, it's, it's like, they don't, they don't know what to ask. So it's right. their first time doing it. I think people forget that you've done a, a hundred weddings, but this is their first wedding. So you have to treat everybody like they don't know, they don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? They don't know right. how to be, they're not being rude. They just, no. they're just asking a proper question. So not, hit don't, the re- right, yeah, hit don't, the reset button. Exactly. I actually, I actually had these made, you know, the staples button, the big yeah. easy button. Yeah. I actually had big red buttons made like that, that say reset. <laughs> And when you hit the button, my voice came out. I didn't realize I was going to allow to have a voice on it, but my voice came out. And I wanted to say something that if a customer hit it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be like, sell them for every dollar. Because, you know, that's not the way that what I teach. I want you to help people buy it. I don't want you to, you know, sell them stuff they don't want and need. And if you hit the button, it said, to give each customer the best experience, be sure to hit the reset button before each call, email, or meeting. I love okay? that. I love and that's what, that's what it said. But the, the visual was... This customer doesn't know the last customer. Their wedding has nothing to do with them. And maybe they both want the same color or maybe they don't, or maybe they want the same style or they don't. Or how many you know, people come to you as a photographer and say, I only want candid pictures, but could you make sure you take pictures of me and my aunt and me and my family? <laughs> like they don't know what they don't know. They're saying they don't want, you know, they don't want posed pictures, but they're going to tell you, please take these posed pictures. Exactly. So, <clears throat> So you have to hit the button. But here, let's go back to the process. We live in a world of abundance and too many choices. Uh, so you live in New York. You've been to a diner, right? I'm sure you've been to a diner. Of course, yeah. And uh, how big is a diner menu? It's huge. It's too much. <laughs> right? But it's the same as you go to Amazon and people who like this also like that. And people who like this also bought that. And people who bought this bought this along with it. And decision paralysis is when there's so many choices, you can't decide at all. So then we use filtering tools, whether the filtering is by style, geography, price, right? So it could be demographics, psychographics, or, or, or geographics, right? That we're going to filter and we're going to reduce the choices. So, so what is it, Tinder? Swipe left is bad and swipe right is good or something like that. Right. <clears throat> and by the time you get the inquiry, they've eliminated most other choices. And you have to think about that, right? Well, how many choices of photographer did they have? Or how many choices of venue or planner or florist or officiant or DJ or band or videographer? How many did they have? They had hundreds, easily hundreds. And how did you make the cut? Because how many did they reach out to? Not many, right? They're not going to email 25 photographers because they don't want 25 responses. Yeah, there's probably a couple of crazies out there that do that. And then they realize when they start getting all the replies, like, whoa, Whoa. <laughs> bad idea. Bad idea. Right. So you typically are going to do three to five. Three, the number three makes sense because uh, it, it, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. You're buying something you've never bought. You're not sure what it should cost. So you get more than one quote. Um, I did this uh, a couple of houses ago. We had a backyard. It was on the north side of the house and it would stay damp all the time because the sun just didn't hit it that much. So I wanted to put blacktop down. I had two small boys. I wanted to make a basketball court for the boys. So I get a guy in to give me a quote, and he puts me, and it's $5,000. I'm like, all right, is that good? I don't know. 
I don't have anything to compare it to. It's called framing, right? If you're going to buy a new lens for your camera, you have framing. You understand you've bought lenses. You understand. And your, your needs are not price first. Your needs are, okay, is it um, 100 millimeter F1.4, right? You have your needs right. before the price. And if somebody says, I have, the, well, now what do you use? Canon, Nikon, Sony? Nikon, yep. Right, okay. And of course, nobody cares except the photographers. Right? <laughs> no one cares, yeah. Right. And if I said to you, I have this unbelievable Canon L lens, right? It's a 50 millimeter, or it's an 80 millimeter. It's a portrait lens. It's F1.2. It's unbelievable. And you're like, but I have Nikon. I say, no, no, but this is an amazing lens and I got a great price for it. You're like, I, I, I can't use it right? Mm -hmm. Price will not matter until you check all the boxes. That's the key. I love that. Price has to matter. Yes, but it's not going to matter if the needs aren't met. A um, friend of mine in Ireland had seven kids, no stereotype there, <laughs> and they decided they wanted another and they had twins. Oh my God, they had nine kids? Nine. They have nine kids. You can't make this up, right? <laughs> <clears throat> So when my friend Martin went to get a vehicle to fit his family, price is not the most important fa factor, right? Right. He needs the airport shuttle van because, you, know, <laughs> you right, you got nine kids, you have parents, you have strollers, you have car seats, right? So price is going to matter. It's a Winnebago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so the, the, you think about by the time you get an inquiry, by the time I get an inquiry, they have looked at the choices eliminated most of them, put you on a short list and said, based upon what I've seen, read, heard, watched, whatever, I think you're a good fit for this need, whatever this need is. Okay. Like my wife and I were going to need some painting done in the house. We went out on an email group to our neighbors and said, painters and people come back, give the re recommendations, right? Did we contact every referred painter? No. Did we contact the ones we got the most or best referrals to? Yes. Right. Yeah. The ones... So whatever brought them to you, which could be reviews, Wedding Wire, The Knot, Google, Facebook, Instagram, go down the list, referral from a friend. They were on the treadmill at the gym and the, you know, the person next to them, hey, you, you wouldn't have to know a, a wedding photographer, would you? Yeah, I got a great one for it, right? Whatever reason, they've made it to you. At that point, don't blow it. Don't blow it by adding friction. Don't blow it by creating a dead end. Don't blow it by making it hard to do business with you. I once had a conference say to me, Alan, you're our most expensive speaker, but you're the easiest to work with. I said, well, good, because if I was the most expensive and the hardest to work with, you wouldn't work with me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, somebody said to me one time, uh, what type of water would you like us to have for you? I said, excuse me? <laughs> I said, what type of water? I, I said, bottled I, I you know i really You're like fresh cold i don't know yeah you know i mean <laughs> if it's in the u.s uh, tap water is probably fine but bottled would be okay and no i don't need the fiji or evian or perrier uh, you know if i'm in a foreign country it's definitely bottled <laughs> right uh, yeah it actually depends upon the country you know in some places i'll be fine but uh mexico uh guatemala india no right right I want that bottle that I know has been sealed. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about what wedding professionals were talking about what not to do. Maybe you can give our listeners three tips of what not to do when they get a new inquiry, like things you should stop doing immediately after you listen to this podcast. All right. So fit it on one screen of a smartphone. Every one of us has had the experience. We get an email, we open it up, we start sliding our finger up because it's so long 
And then we either mark it on red to maybe get to it later or we delete it, right? Mm -hmm. So first of all, understand people don't read, they scan. You haven't earned permission to write them a long message yet. And I say yet because you're going to mirror if they're writing you long, you can write long. But if you get an inquiry through your website or through Wedding Wire or The Knot that says, hi, uh, getting married on this date, we'd like to get some pricing and, and information, which very much on Wedding Wire and The Knot sites like that, there's a pre-written text that they might just send to everybody you know, with every category. So don't discount that, that that's not going to be a good lead. All right. So fit it on one screen of a smartphone. I am officially breaking your attachment button. <laughs> yes. I, I just took out my Harry Potter wand here and it's um, attachment is break us. I don't know if that's the proper, the, the, the proper uh, phrase in there, but the reason that I'm breaking your attachment button is because attachments don't sell for you. Attachments are usually PDFs and they're not formatted for smartphones. So when they open up, we've all had that experience. You open that PDF up, it opens up fast. It opens up clear, except it's tiny. Mm -hmm. It's tiny. You've just squeezed a full-size piece of paper down to a, a smartphone screen. Um, it, it drives me crazy because I travel so much. When I go to look at a restaurant, I go look at the menu and the menu comes up in a PDF. I'm like, are you kidding me? Now I have to pinch and then I have to move. And it's just, it's, you've added friction there. Okay. Attachments are not going to sell for you. Attachments give the impression that you have given them what they think they need. Information, maybe even pricing. And you're delaying them or even preventing them from replying to you because they think that what they need is in there. They can't read it well on their phone, so they have to get to their iPad, to their laptop, to their desktop or whatever, print it out. You've added friction. And you've given, if you've given them your packages and pricing, immediately, you've given them a license to shop you against someone else without even getting a chance to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So do not send them anything on the first reply. Even if they say, could you send me packages and pricing? Do not do that. I want you to think about this as if you were on the phone, right? So you, you call me up there and uh, yeah, hi, Janae. I, 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 sure. You know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you an email right now with some information. If you like what you see, you'll call me back. Okay. <laughs> Like, no, I would, no, I would never do that. So why, why would you think that that's a good idea yeah. if you did that in an email? Okay. That was the second one. And the third one is end every email with one, 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 I was repeating that short, <laughs> one low commitment question. Now, why one low commitment question? Okay. The number one is important because again, if we were having a conversation in person or on the phone, I would never say, oh, thanks so much for inquiring. So um, uh, uh, when is your wedding? Uh, uh, where are you getting married? Uh, are you having both the ceremony and reception at the same place? Are you going to be getting ready at the, at the church? Are you getting ready at the event? I'm going to give you a chance to answer, right? right? So I ask you a question. I give you a chance to answer. One question. Why a low commitment question? Well, 50% of the couples said they chose the first one who replied. But you also want to be the first one to get a reply back. See, they have already started the conversation. Their email to you, their contact form fill out to you has started the conversation. You want to continue that conversation. So you want to make it easy for them to reply when, let, let's face it, um, Jenny, do you ever get uh, inquiries, I don't know, Monday through Friday and during the workday? Uh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and where are they? Uh, what do you mean? Where is that person who sent you that Oh, they're at message? work. Right. Uh, by the way, I just demonstrated something to you. Uh, 
typically I don't ask yes or no questions unless I know the answer or the answer doesn't matter. Right. Okay. So I asked you a question I knew the answer to. Do you ever get inquiries Monday through Friday during the workday? I knew the answer was yes. Okay. <laughs> but it's the same thing with couples, right? So um, are, are, you looking, are you looking to have you know, photos that you can keep on your iPad, put on your social media, as well as save for future generations? Well, yes. Yeah. Right? yeah. Or, or, or a dress shop. You know, are you looking for a dress that flatters your figure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. But then the follow-up is, well, just between us girls, um, what, you know, what features would you like us to show off? And are there any you'd like us to, you know, um, downplay a little bit, right? <laughs> Somebody comes in, you know, and has tattoos all over the place. The question is, are you going to be looking to highlight that or are you going to be looking to downplay that, right? So it's asking questions to get to the better answers. But here's what a low commitment question is. A low commitment question is one somebody can answer without conferring with anyone else, without looking anything up, without thinking too hard. They can just reactively give you an answer. So if your contact form, first of all, the shorter the contact form, the more people will fill it out. So remove any fields of information you don't need to know to start a conversation. You need name, phone, email. You might put the wedding date down if you're not a venue, if you're a venue. I would say first and second choices of dates to give them the impression that they may not get their first choice. Mm -hmm. But if everybody else, if the date's booked, you want to know that. But don't ask them the venue yet. and Don't ask them the guest count. Don't ask them if they're having the ceremony reception at the same place because those are things you can ask them that they can answer right away. So if I get an inquiry, if I'm Alan the photographer and I get an inquiry that says, hi, can I get package of pricing info? I'm going to go back and say, hey, Janae, thanks so much for reaching out. I'd love to capture your beautiful images and, and give you memories that you can just save and share for, for a lifetime. Have you already secured your wedding venue? Perfect. Right? Mm -hmm. Or if you told me the venue, if you gave me the date, I, I see that you put down here March 25th. Uh, has your venue already been reserved for that date? Or I see March 25th, that's fantastic. Are you going to have both your ceremony and reception at the same place? Those are low commitment questions. A high commitment question is a phone call, a meeting, uh, asking their budget because they're going to lie. Um, and not because they're liars, but because they're going to hold back. Right? We've right. all done that. We're all going to continue to do that. Somebody says, how much did you want to spend on that camera? you lower that number a little bit because if you can get away with the lower number, why would you spend the higher number, right? We spend more when we see the value is higher, right? The value, because price is the number that you set as the business. Value is the price the customer is willing to pay. And some customers see the value and some don't, right? That's, there's, there's the difference. Yeah. We, we all have spent more money on something because we perceived a higher value. But when we went in, especially if it's something we've never bought before, we went in and we go, gee, is that a good price? So, you know, going back to my blacktop example, the first guy came in at 5000 The second one came in at 1400 Wow, big difference. Right. But who's wrong? Right. And who's better? You don't know. Well, but here's the thing. Who's, who is the one that is not the right price for, for me? So I have to get a third one. I get a third one and it's 1800 it's like, okay, well, the 5,000 probably just doesn't want to do the job or it's too small for him. So he's got a minimum. He's not going to do anything less than 5,000. Okay. Now between 14 and 1800, who do I go with? Because right. now that's pretty close. And I went with 1800, not, uh, did I go with 18? No, I think I might've gone with 14. 
but I, I went because of the referrals, because of who referred it and because of what they said, because now that was close enough, right? It wasn't about the $400 at that point. It was about, I want the job done right by somebody I can trust. Um, same as the house I'm living in. We built a new house and the builder painted it builder beige and wouldn't paint any other colors. You have to get it done after. <laughs> so we got referrals from people and we got three prices, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Okay. So we start looking at not just that we got referred, but what did they say about it? And the, the referrals on the 3,000 were the most emotion, emotive. And you're like, hmm, but he's the cheapest one. You know, and you start thinking, hmm, but you're looking at these referrals and you're like, wow, they say he's these neat, clean, on time, nice guy. It's like, huh, okay. And we ended up hiring him. And it was everything everybody said, neat, clean, on time, nice guy, all this kind of stuff. And when he was done, uh, he saw the way my, my wife should have been an interior decorator. She just didn't want a business, it sounds like our industry, right? <laughs> <clears throat> And she, uh, he said, uh, you know, would it be okay if I brought his wife over to see the house? Because he, he wanted her to see it uh, with our color choices and all that stuff. So he said, sure. So we invite him over, we get some wine, some cake. We're sitting and we're talking. And, and I said to him, uh, you know, Rick, now that you're done and I've paid you, <laughs> uh, you don't charge enough. You, you don't. This is very much like our industry. I said, you just don't charge enough. I said, the, the, I cannot imagine that the guy who was going to charge 5000 could have done a better job. I, I just can't. I, 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 I can't see that the job could have been done any better than, than he did. Right. I said, so you're not charging enough. I said, so I'm just, I'm curious. I said, are you pretty much everybody you give a quote to says yes? He said, yeah. I said, well, there's your first, there's your first clue. Everybody shouldn't be saying yes. That means your prices are too low. Same as our industry. I said, if you had asked for 10% more, I wouldn't have blinked. If you had asked for 20% more, I wouldn't have blinked because I got prices of three, four, and 5,000. So at 3,000, if he was four, I still would have gone with him. As a matter of fact, if he was five, I might have gone with him. So he was undercutting himself. And, and that's, the, that's the thing that I would want you to do and everybody in our industry to do, which is just ask yourself, how many of your customers that said yes would have said yes to more? And, and start small. I, I, so I was working with an officiant in D.C. and he was charging $600 and he hadn't raised his prices in seven years. And I said, well, how many would have paid $650? He said, all of them. I said, how many would have paid $700? He said, probably all of them. I said, how many would have paid $750? He said, most of them. <laughs> and I said, the ones that wouldn't have paid it could you have replaced them with someone who would have because you got enough inquiries that you had to turn away? He said, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, so your price is now 800. <laughs> I love it. And because what he was hating was the, all the paperwork. I said, just get a virtual assistant to do the paperwork and you know chase people down for their stuff and you just do the part you love, right? Create the ceremonies and go do them. So he did, raised his price to 800. That minute, he raised his price to 800, went to his website, changed it. The next day, met with two people Two couples, told them 800. Remember, they don't know the history, right? right? Two couples, $800. They both said yes, gave them a deposit. And he's like, I need to be 900. This is too easy. Well, and, and, <laughs> and what I did is I went and looked, and I looked on uh, Wedding Wire and the Knot in his market, and people were charging anywhere from 450 to 1500 And 1500 was uh, some of the rabbis and some of the other stuff. And he's a Catholic priest. And I said, you know, you have such a niche there. 
you have a niche, just like when someone needs a rabbi, they need a rabbi, not an officiant, they need a rabbi. And that's why the rabbis can charge more because they need a rabbi, not a, a justice of the peace or something like that. I said, the key is that when people want you, they have to pay your price. And that's the thing. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. I don't spend a lot of time on search engine optimization because I'm not, my best customer is not someone who's looking for someone like me. My best customer is someone who's looking for me, right? So the person that saw photos that you did for another couple and says, oh my gosh, I need Janae. That's your best lead because they want you, not someone. They want you. Yeah. And my best lead is when someone says, here, I have a lead that came in just before we got on here. Uh, somebody in the UK uh, saw me speak in London uh, probably back in October. And it's, what is it, a jewelry company here. How much do you charge to consult on how to raise business to get more foot traffic in the door, et cetera? Okay. She's looking for me. <laughs> right. Right. And that's my best customer is someone who's my best lead is someone who's looking for me. Now, it doesn't mean they can afford me. It doesn't mean that they're going to spend the money. It doesn't mean that the timing is right, but it means they've thought about a need and I can fill that need. And that's, you know, what you're looking for. So SEO is great, but if you're doing what you should be doing and asking for referrals and getting great reviews and stuff like that, you, you want more people. Remember what I said, you're going to be in this group of three to five businesses. That they've said, how much do you charge? And that's a great lead. That yeah. is a great lead every time. And, and how many people have started by asking you how much you charge and ended up booking you and booking you for a high package? Right. A, a lot. Right. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about just real quick. Um, I know you have a new book and I want mm -hmm. to make sure our audience gets to hear about it. So it's Wit, Wisdom and the Business of Weddings. Yes. So what is that about real quick? It is very different than my other books. So my other books were specific topics. My first book is a website book. So if your website was an employee, would you fire it? Which my sixth book, which I'm going to start writing, is the follow-up to that. It'll be called Five Signs It's Time to Fire Your Website. <laughs> <clears throat> my second book, Your Attitude for Success, came out of a keynote presentation I give on successful attitude. My most popular book to date is Shut Up and Sell More Weddings and Events. And that's about how wedding pros talk too much. Event pros talk too much. And you have, if you give the customer a chance, they will tell you what they want and need. Why don't they call me? And each of these is a topic meant to be read front to back. Here is the subject. Read the book. Okay. They're very short books. As you know, they're very easy to read or audio. I can read or, it too. Or, li or listen to. <laughs> I can, let me read you the book. It's, it's story time. Alan's going to read you his book. Um, this book is 45 chapters and each chapter stands on its own as a separate thought. Uh, very much like the blogs, uh, many of them are articles or blogs or things that I've done over the years that I put together in what I call a compendium. Uh, my wife wasn't crazy about that word until she saw the way that, that the cover was designed and then she loves the word now. But a compendium is just a compilation, basically, of these thoughts. So there's three sections, sales, business, and inspiration. And you can go to the table of contents and pick a topic and say, hey, I want to know about that and read that chapter which will take you maybe five minutes and that's it. You have now have that thing you need. It's self-contained within those 12 to 1400 words, as opposed to my other books where you're going to read the whole book. And I wasn't sure how it was going to be received because it is so different. 
And what's really amazed me in, in a good way is how many people have come and said, this is my favorite book of yours so far. I love this. I love the fact that I can just grab that little bite and do that. Like it's like it's wedding show season now. And the first chapter in the book is six steps to wedding show success. So there are tips right there. And that'll take you five minutes to read that. and You'll have some tips. Or uh, there's a conversation on Facebook pops up every once in a while, like a, like a whack-a-mole. And it's, uh, should you take credit cards? I'm like, are we still having this conversation? <laughs> <clears throat> so I wrote, a, I wrote an article about that. And that article is in there. And, and that's what it is. It's this com- compendium. It's this compilation of, of thoughts on sales, business, and inspiration. And then the inspiration part you know, gets into other things. And again, these are the conversations that I've had with wedding and event pros that have turned into these articles. Cause that's when I sit down and decide I'm going to write an article. Um, and if I think about, if you look at my blog and you look at the, uh, the articles that are there on, uh, on there. So five ways to convert more inquiries, this engagement season, that was my January article because it is engagement season. So I want to help people convert. Um, I, the next one, I haven't even written it yet. I wrote the title because I had the thought how top-down selling is like the game of Jenga. <laughs> and it's, it's um, last year I was talking to this group and I was trying to explain to them about top-down selling. And I came up with this, I love analogies and metaphors. And I came up with this analogy of the game of Jenga with all the blocks all stacked up. And top-down selling is like putting that blocks together and then asking for the sale of that whole combination of blocks selling. And then if they say no, pulling blocks out until they say yes. Whereas bottom up selling is selling them the first block and then selling them the second block and then selling them the third block. And that's much harder. Right. So I just came up with this visual. I was like, I love that visual. And I actually went to the, the dollar store and I bought like 20 little mini Jenga games and <laughs> giving them out at, at conferences. And that'll be the next article just to get people because it's a great visual. It's a great metaphor. And I did it very quickly when I explained that I take longer to explain it so <laughs> um, so you know it's um here the one of the chapters is what crossword puzzles could teach us about life and business um i am a uh, what is it a cru- crucible crucible i forget what there's a word for people who do crossword puzzles <laughs> um crucibologist I, something like that and i do the new york times and the wall street journal crossword puzzle every day seven days a week Wow. At, but I didn't start that way. I started out doing Monday because what I there's a, a documentary called Wordplay. You can find it, I think, on Netflix. And it's about the New York Times crossword puzzle. And it talks about how people make them, but also how people complete them. And that there are contests and stuff. And one of the things they said is the puzzle starts on Monday and then gets harder every day through Saturday. Sunday is actually not the hardest. Sunday is about as hard as a Thursday. It's just bigger. And I was like, oh. So I started doing Mondays and when I finished, was able to finish Mondays, I started doing Tuesdays. And when I was able to finish Tuesdays, then I would go through Wednesday and then working my way up, you know, and I, I, in the beginning, I would feel stupid on a Wednesday and then I'd finish that. I feel like a champion. Then I'd, you know, feel stupid on Thursdays. And then, you know, Fridays is like all those little black squares start disappearing. Like, whoa, where'd they go? You know? (laughs) Um, And Saturday was just like, I am an idiot. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm an idiot. And that's the way I felt. And yet last night I sat down and I had Saturday's New York Times puzzle and I sat down with a pen and did it. Now, I also have whiteout, but I did <laughs> sit down with a pen. <clears throat> I was born at night. It wasn't last night. Um, <laughs> but here, here's what, what the thought came. I was 
uh, you know, Monday I can sit down, and just do the puzzle all in one sitting done. And now I can do Monday like that, Tuesday like that, probably Wednesday. But the other days I have to come back and I have to come back, especially a Friday or a Saturday usually. And I was coming back to this Saturday puzzle or this Friday puzzle. And I was like, why have I not looked up the answers yet? They're, they're accessible to me, right? I can, I have a phone, I have a computer, I can go look this up. But no, I'm going to do this, right? Or why have I not just thrown it in the recycle bin and said, I'm done, I can't do this, right? And I realized that that's a metaphor for life. It's like, what makes you come back and know, I got this, I, got, I don't have this right now, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to finish this, I'm going to get this done, I'm going to learn this. And for me, it's the challenge. Every day, life is like a game. And I have to get to the next level. And some days you can get to the next level and some days you can't. But do you give up or do you keep trying? And that puzzles became a metaphor for me. Do I give up or do I keep trying? We don't know what we're capable of as people, business and life, until we try, right? Yeah. If you think about what's the worst that can happen, right? When, when I was in Taekwondo, I started Taekwondo with 39. I didn't have time to do it. So don't tell me you don't have time to do something. I ended up getting a second degree black belt in something I didn't have the time to do. So you have the time to do anything you prioritize. There's more of that story in my second book, Your Attitude for Success, but let's just move, move on from there. And one of the things the master would do is he would hold the board a certain way and say, who can break this board this way? We've never seen it done. We've never tried it. Half the adult class would go, I'll, I'll try. And half would go, I can't do that. So, well, you've never tried it. How do you know you can't do that? No, I, I just know I can't do that. Well, how do you know you've never done that, right? And then he'd, he'd, he'd up the ante. He'd say, well, I'm not going to ask you to do something if I think you might get hurt. Now who wants to try? Same half would say, I'll do it. I'll try. The same half would say, I can't do that, right? So it's the mentality of you don't know and you know, like, what's the worst that would happen? So you try to break the board. You don't break the board. Okay, so what? What's the big deal? Um, now there, there are real life consequences to certain things. Uh, I went skydiving when I turned 50 and I have a t-shirt that says skydiving. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> That's a little different, but, um, you know, I started learning Spanish. Why? Cause it's respectful to people in the countries that I go to. That's why I started doing it. I was in Mexico thinking, why am I speaking English here? I should be speaking Spanish. It's their country, right? Uh, they come here, we expect them to speak English. We go there, we expect them to speak English <laughs> wherever we go in the world. That's just not right. right. And uh, like right now, I'm, I, I, and I've already presented in five countries in Spanish, but I, it, today driving, doing some errands, I was doing Spanish lessons. Why? Because it's hard. And instead of turning it off when it gets hard, I go back and I do it again. I go back and I do it again because if we don't do things that are hard, we don't grow. And our brains, actually, we use less of our brains if we do things, only the same things over and over again. So for me, crossword puzzles and getting to be able to do Saturday and Sunday uh, and, and, and being able to present in another language and being able to, you know, check the editing of my book in, in Spanish. It's just hard. Good. Yeah, it's good. good. I exactly. love that. I love it. I love that we're going to end on a motivational. You so here's, here's the quote. Here's the quote. I don't ever want to be the best I can ever be. I just want to be the best they've ever been every time. Love it. Mic drop. Ooh, right there. <laughs> That's it. And never drop a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alan. This has been so incredible. Thank I, you. So much information. I, I think people are going to love it so much. So let's Thanks. tell everybody how they can find out more about you, say hello, and hopefully connect to you online. 
Uh, that's nice and easy. My name is uh, Alan Berg, and my web address is uh, alanberg.com, A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G.com. My email is just alan at alanberg.com. You can find all my books on my website, um, or you can go to Amazon or Audible if you prefer that. Um, and the shortcut to my Amazon is alanberg.guru, G-U-R-U. And that'll take you right to my author's page with all of my books. Y también todo disponible en español. Yes, they're all available in Spanish. Um, and audio in English. Sorry, I haven't gotten to that. That is a personal goal, by the way. I do want to do one of my audio books in Spanish. Oh, I but, love it. But that's how you can get there. Uh, find me, sales training. I do private training, website reviews, speaking. Um, I'd love to work with you, help you. And um, if you ever want me back on, Janae, I'd love to be back. Oh, we'd love to have you back. And everyone listening, I'm going to put all this information in the show notes so you guys can just click on the links and say hi to Alan. Thank you again. Thank you. Hi, friends. I'm super excited to talk to you about my favorite new email marketing platform. It's called Flowdesk. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I like things to be easy, pretty, um, super friendly, and this platform is exactly what I needed to take my email marketing to the next level. So I joined a few months ago, and if you're on my email list, I hope you are, that's what you've been receiving over the last few months. They are beautiful templates, so easy to create, and the open rates are incredible. So I wanted to let you guys know about Flowdesk because I, if you sign up using my link, you can get in on their beta deal right now. And that deal is $19 a month forever, no matter how big your list gets, which is incredible because other service providers charge you for the amount of users that you have subscribed. So you guys got to check out Flowdesk. There's a link in the show notes and I know you're going to love it. So enjoy and happy email marketing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. that's it you guys thanks so much for listening and making it to the end of this episode i know it was a little bit lengthy but alan and i had a great time chatting and i hope you picked up a lot of great tips throughout the show if you guys want to find out more about alan and find out about his speaking services and his books you can check out all the links in the show notes pop over and say hi on instagram and let him know you listen to the show thanks so much you guys for being here and we'll chat with you soon bye